I was raised in a house that absolutely believed in the power of prayer. Prayer is not just something that we do. It's, it's who we are as a people of God. Did you know that prayer has an aroma? Prayer has an aroma. It's true. Now, this, this message is for free because it's actually not even on my notes on the screen. So I just, you're getting this one for free. But Psalms chapter 141 verse 2 tells us, Let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And as, as I thought about the aroma of prayer and what that really meant to me, I, I realized something that I, I, actually, I actually have a real thought or a real imagination of what prayer smells like. See, all growing up, I, I grew up in, in the house of a, of a pastor, associate pastor. My grandfather was a pastor in, in New Mexico, and, and uh, he's still preaching over at Spring Creek every now and then. And my uncle was a pastor in, in New Mexico, and he, then he was a pastor in Texas, and, and uh, then back again in New Mexico. And, and I, I it's just normal for people in my family to be walking down the hallway and then just start praying in tongues. That's just a normal occurrence. It was an everyday occurrence. And I realized that I had a, a smell that I associated with prayer. You, you know what my prayer smells like? It smells like hairspray. It smells like cologne. It smells like breath mints. And it smells like anointing oil, Rose of Sharon anointing oil. Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about. It's all mixed together, and that's what church and prayer smell like to me. Also, I think, it, I think there's little hints of, you know, how the, the carpet smells when it's just been freshly vacuumed? And, and I'd like to say that it's because I had my face buried in the floor praying to the Lord, but probably around that age when I was associating the smell, it was because I was hiding under my, the seats, just like my son's hiding under the seat right there playing. That's, that's what prayer smells like to me. And it's a beautiful, wonderful fragrance to me that brings back memories. Every time I, I, I go to church, I, I think of that smell. It brings me to that spirit of prayer. Because when my, when my grandfather, my dad, uh, my, my, my grandfather would be walking down the halls of the house, and if you were with him for any length of time, and there was a quiet time, all of a sudden, there would be a, a eruption of, uh, of a song or a, a prayer or a prayer in the Spirit. And my, my father, my mom, there wouldn't be a night that would go by before they would pray with me before I went to bed. And even in my home, own house right now, every night I pray with my kids. Every night my wife and I pray together. Every, every day whenever I take my, my kids to school, I pray with them. And a matter of fact, there was one day just this past week, I was in the car drop-off line with my daughter. And she's sitting in the back seat, and there was about two minutes before it was our turn to pull up and drop her off. And she's getting out of her seat, getting ready, and then all of a sudden I feel this little hand reach up and tap me on the shoulder. I turn around, she's got her hand stuck out, and she says, Daddy, you forgot to pray with me. So I reached behind, and I, I began to pray with her, and I pray that God would just bless her, that God would protect her, that God would make her a light. She is six years old, but God can still make her a light in her school and shine his love into the hearts and lives of her friends, her classmates, and her teachers. And I believe that my daughter can be a witness even at six years old of God's love. How many believe that? Say amen. And I prayed that prayer over her. And you know what she did? 
I open my eyes when I said amen. I look back and she's got her eyes closed and she's starting to pray for me now. Something's happening in my daughter's heart and my daughter's life and it's causing her to draw close to God and it, and it has everything in the world to do with my wife and our commitment. And we're going to pray and we're going to ask the Lord to even now draw her heart close to him because it doesn't happen by accident. So prayer has an aroma that we lift to the Lord. And that's why I pray the promises of God every day over, over my kids. I pray the promises of God every day over my family. I pray the promises of God over this church. And I want you to know something this morning that I don't see all the promises manifested each and every time I pray. Because, you know, the truth is, is if we prayed and every time we saw something happen, every time we saw a promise fulfilled, we wouldn't stop praying. We'd be walking down the street and we'd, hit, we'd run into a telephone pole and we wouldn't skip a beat. God, give me a $1,000. God, uh, Lord, bring my, my kids back to me. God, uh, uh, let this church be filled with people praising you. And we would, we would begin to pray all these prayers. We'd begin to see all these things happen because every time we'd open our mouth, the promise of the Lord would just Hallelujah. begin to happen. And I, I want you to know, I am not against that. I would love to see that. But God doesn't give us the promises that he promises us each and every time that we pray. And, and maybe I'm just not a spiritually mature person, or maybe I'm just not as spiritually as mature as you are, that you have already automatically received all the promises that God has guaranteed you. Maybe that's just me, but, but I want you to know that that's not going to stop me from praying for the promises of God to be manifest in my life. I think there's somebody out there that believes that too. Today, I want you to turn to the book of Joshua. We're going to start in the first chapter. As you're turning to the book of Joshua, if you see Corinthians, you've done gone the wrong way. It's the sixth book of the Bible. It's the first book out of the Pentateuch, the book that Moses wrote, and it's a continuation of the history of the Israelites and their exodus out of Egypt. I want to share with you as you're turning a little bit of background on this historical account. The book of Joshua was written by... Uh, Roten, snap. The book of Joshua was written by the principal character, Joshua. And so, therefore, we're going to receive a bird's-eye view, a, actually a, a first-person view, a historical account, the absolute truth, eyewitness account of what happened to the children of Israel as they're coming out of the wilderness into the promised land. See, Joshua, he, he was around when Israel was brought out of Egypt. He was walking in the wilderness with Israel. He saw the promises of God delivered to, to them. He received the, the, the manifest presence of the Lord with the rest of Israel. He, he was Moses' assistant, and he was the only one else allowed to go on Mount Sinai when Moses received the Ten Commandments. Joshua became the general of the Israelite army. And as Joshua, was, uh, Joshua worked and Joshua served diligently, he actually was referred to in Numbers chapter 27, verse 18, in, as a man in whom this, uh, is the Spirit. He was a man of God. And, and 
he allowed the Holy Spirit to be at work in him and empower him and do things. Joshua was brave in battle. In fact, Joshua's name means in Hebrew, the Lord who saves. The Lord who saves. And if you translate the name Joshua from Hebrew to Greek, what do you come up with? Somebody said it, Jesus. Jesus. And so it's no accident, it's, no, it's not hard to realize that Joshua is a type and shadow in the Old Testament of a, of a Savior that's coming. And that he was going to bruise the serpent's head with his heel. That Joshua, in that moment, was going to free Israelite by the sword, but one, another Joshua, second Joshua was coming, that was going to free his people with the cross. And that, in that moment, Jesus was going to save us. I'm going to start, start preaching a different message. I'm sorry. But now, Josh, but now Moses was about to die. After leading the Israelites around in the desert for 40 years, he was about to die. There was a tremendous sense of anticipation as Israel knew that there was a change in leadership coming. And they realized that that change in leadership meant something. That in that change of leadership, that, that took them one step closer to realizing the promise that God had made so many years ago. That they were about to enter into the land of, the, uh, of promise. Forty years ago, they had prayed. Forty years, they took one step after another. And now their leader was about to be gone. And all they had to show for it was a belief and a promise that the Lord God had made them. There are some people out here that understand what prayer smells like. There, there's some people out here this morning that know the, the, the price of prayers prayed. There's some people out here that have been believing for a miracle. You've been believing for a promise. You've been believing that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. And you've been standing on his word for so long that it's hard to believe that in just one moment, in just the next week, in just the next month, in just the next conversation, in just the next letter that you open, that you're going to receive a promise that God has spoken directly into your life. But you're believing it this morning. You're believing it. You're walking in faith. Each step that, you've, that, that you walk, you claim as a step that you are giving to God in faith. Each day you recognize that you live inside of the blessings of the Lord, but you still don't have the promise that God himself has given to you. I don't know what your promise is, but I know who, I know who my God is. And I know that he is faithful and able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever imagine or think. And you are not wrong to continue to believe that God is going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. Now, I know that I'm preaching to, the, uh, to a faithful crowd this morning. I, I know I am. But there might be somebody in this room. There might be somebody in this room that might be ashamed to admit how close that you're coming to just giving up. There may be somebody in this room that, that might be ashamed to admit how close you are from, from just sitting out on the promises of God. N- not that you don't believe that God's promise is good, but maybe you're starting to believe, well, it wasn't that good. 
Maybe somebody in this room has begun to make, I don't know, excuses for God. Well, you know, there, there's so much going on right now in my life. He probably realizes that, there, that if he actually gave me that promise that I wouldn't be able to take care of it. You, you might have said, well, well, maybe, just maybe, just years ago, whenever I was praying that prayer and believing that he was going to do something in my life, maybe, just maybe, that was just me and not actually God, not actually a promise for God. It was just something I was believing that God would do for me. And just, he just, that's not really what he wants to do in my life. Or maybe there's somebody in this room that, that feels intense guilt and shame for sin that they've committed in their life, and they feel like that in some way, somehow, that, this, that has disqualified you from receiving a promise that God has for your life. This morning, I want to encourage you. You are barely holding on to the big promise that God has made for you. But I want you to know that you have a big promise And you might be facing a big battle, but you are facing a big God this morning. And it's a God that wants to do a miracle in your life. It's a God that wants to to move in your life in such a powerful way that you have never experienced it before. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. There's a miracle coming. So as we turn into our passage of Scripture, starting in Joshua chapter 1, I want to pray. Heavenly Father... This morning, we're gathered together here in faith, believing, God, that your word is truth. I pray that you would open our hearts and lives to receive what you have for us today. And I pray, God, that that the promises that you've given to us, that we would stand on your word and we would proclaim, Lord, how true it is in our life. And we prepare our lives to receive it as we walk in faithful obedience to you. In Jesus' name, somebody said amen. Joshua chapter 1, starting in verse 1. After the death of of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given you. Somebody say, I have given you. As I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and the great sea towards going down of the, towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. 
What a powerful word spoken by God to Joshua, the general, the assistant to Moses. And now, the leader of all Israel. Verse 2, it says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore arise, go to the Jordan, and all this people to the land which I am giving to them. I want to show you this morning that God didn't waste any time here. (laughs) He said, you thought it was Moses' vision? You you thought it was Moses' dream? You thought it was Moses' leadership all the time? Joshua, Moses is dead. Get up. It's time to go. It's my vision. It's my leadership. It's my purpose. It's my plan. I'm the one in charge here. Moses is gone. It's time to take the people into the promised land. The promise did not die with Moses. It continued on. See, I think sometimes we get stuck in the transition of things and we stop right there. When something happens, when something changes, we get stuck in that transition and we thought that our promise died in that moment. We thought that we're going to retire at age 60 and we didn't. (laughs) We thought we were going to, we thought we were going to uh, uh, spend the rest of our lives with our spouse. And we didn't, we, we, we thought that we were going to, our, our children were going to get saved and they weren't. We, we thought that our business wasn't going to fail and it failed. We thought that our ministry wasn't going to fail, but it failed. We thought that our marriage wasn't going to fail and it failed. And in that moment, in those transitions in our lives, we thought that the dream that God had put in us, we thought that the promise that God had for us, we thought that that died with those things. But I have news for you this morning that it takes more than that to cause a promise of God to die. See, because God's promises, they don't die in transition. That word is for somebody here this morning, that God's promises don't die in transition. You see, some of us, it's been so long since that transition occurred. It's been so long since we felt the hope that we had when we, we had that promise living in our hearts that we have forgotten what it feels like to wake up in the morning with the expectancy to see God provide a a miracle in our life. We have forgotten what it feels like to be energized by the hope that tomorrow brings because we so long ago allowed the promise of God to die in our heart when the transition occurred. But watch this. See, you might not be able to remember what it's like to see the victory, but in verse 3, he said, God says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. Now, there are, there are some grammar people in here that probably have already caught on to what I'm about to say. But see, I, I want to show you, I want to unpack this thing. When you study in the Hebrew, what, what, what you'll find out is that the tenses are important and the verbs within them carry the, the tenses of the verb. And this, this word is actually a, a phrase in English, but it's one word in Hebrew, uh, have given you, have given you. It's one word in Hebrew, but it's a phrase in English. And it carries with it a tense. It's a past participial phrase in English. Well, what does that mean? It means that God had already done giving it to you. It's done. It's over. He he is not in the process of giving it to you, but he has already given it to you. It is already in your name. It is already in your account. All you have to do is go pick it up. 
It is done in the name of Jesus. It is done. It is yours. It is a promise. And his promises are sure. We can, we can take it to the bank. Young person, classic person, person in between, whatever that looks like. <laughs> I want to share with you this morning that it doesn't matter how long ago that God has made a promise to you in your life, that that promise is still good and you can still take it to the bank and you can still take steps in believing and in faith, knowing that he is going to be sure to bring it to come come in our lives. See, he's already paid the price for it and he's already provided the answer for it. I want to, I want to, Remind you what Isaiah told us about God. He said, God declared the end from the beginning and everything that God wants to happen will happen according to his pleasure. So don't be discouraged. Take heart because God's promise is good in our lives. But then he goes down in verse five and he says, I will not leave you or forsake you. Does that sound familiar to anybody in this room? I will not leave you or forsake you for in that moment... It's God talking, but I can't help but remember all the way up to Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, where he says, and and lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Again, repeated back in Hebrews, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. It's a common theme. It's a common ribbon interwoven through the fabric of the Bible helping us Remember that God isn't going anywhere. I kind of think it's interesting sometimes when we begin to pray, God, be with us. God, please be with us. As if we have to ask the creator of heaven and earth to be with his children. He is here right now in and in and among us, through us, working on our behalf. But you don't feel him. You don't see him. Pastor John, it's been so long, I, I can't. I can't hear him speaking to me anymore in that way. Could it be that that God never left you, but instead you you stopped walking with him? Could could, could it be that, that he said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, but you might be able to leave me? Could could it be that that you've been walking with him so long that you have grown accustomed? to what it feels like to walk in the presence of God, and you don't appreciate what that feels like any longer. Could it be that that God is right there all along, but you have been so encumbered and so engulfed in the very problems that you're trying to deal with that you have forgotten that God's presence is right around the corner? See, in verse 6, I went, well, hold on, let me back up. I want to say this, that when God makes a promise to us, it doesn't matter. And it doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility to, unto him first. When God makes us a, a, a promise to us, it doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility back to him. Verse 6, it says, be strong and of good courage. Verse 7, it says, be strong and very courageous. Verse 8, observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. I want you to know this morning that the outcome is God's responsibility, but obedience is ours first. You don't have to worry about what's about to happen tomorrow because all you have to worry about, all God needs you to do is worry about what you're about to do and how you're going to be obedient to his words today. 
Well, Pastor John, I don't know how to work all this out. It doesn't matter. You don't have to work it out. Be obedient today. Pastor John, what, what, what about this? doesn't matter. Be obedient. Do what you know to do. And if God wants to say something to you, he's going to open up the sky, the heaven, and he will let you know if he needs to get a hold of you. But I want you to know that he won't do any of it unless we are walking in faith and obedience in him first. That's a hard word for people. That's a hard word for people. Pastor John, I've been praying for 10 years. Be strong and courageous because it might come in year 11. Pastor John, I'm tired of walking in these circles. Will you be strong and courageous to stand upon his word for his promise? That's the question. It's only when we will be fully obedient that he will honor his end of the bargain. Verse 7 and 8. Observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded for you. For then you will make your way prosperous. And then you have good success. See, this, this word is very difficult from this generation, the generation that I live in. This, this word is very difficult because we have rejected authority. And we have rejected anything that makes promises to us because most of the promises that have been made don't feel like they have been kept and don't feel like they've been honored. And so as as this word is proclaimed by God, this generation has been so jaded that they don't believe this promise. But I'm hoping that there's somebody in here this morning that is going to be faithful to the principle in this word whenever it says that if you do this, then he'll do this. If you walk in obedience, then he'll fulfill his promises. If we say that God has to prove himself for us to believe him and for us to obey him, then you have just forfeited the promise of God and that God has for you and for your children. See, your disobedience doesn't just affect your life, but it affects the lives of every person that you come in contact with. I want you to understand this morning that that once we believe in the promises of God and in God's word and we act in obedience, surrendering our will for his, God will lead us into the promise that he has for us. The problem is, is that more often than not, that promise is right on the other side of a battle. It's on the other side of a battle. And I want to read to you in Joshua. Go ahead and turn a few pages over to chapter 5. We're going to be reading about Jericho this morning. And it came to pass... Verse 13, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, no. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. See, Joshua had gotten ready for, for the first battle. He was 
standing on the precipice of walking into the promised land, but in front of him was a battle, and he knew that it was going to be a big deal because, see, Jericho was the key to his strategic success in conquering all of the promised land because Jericho was a fortified city and a greater city than they would face anywhere else as far as its fortification, even though it was actually by area landmass, very small, only about eight acres. The wall that surrounded Jericho was about 30 foot high and about 20 foot wide. And history tells us that they used to have horse-drawn chariot races around the tops of the walls. That this wall was so fortified that it was considered in ancient days impenetrable. That no one, as long as it was inside the wall, would ever be harmed by anybody outside the wall. And so when the Israelites rolled up to Jericho, they had this thing shut up tight. That's what the Bible says. It was shut up tight. And, and as, they, as they approached, Joshua began to strategize. It's a word I learned from President Bush. Some of y'all remember that. Strategery. He sat in the tent and he began to pour over his plans. I picture this in my mind. He's pouring over his plans. He's looking at his maps. He's having meetings with his generals discussing how they're going to take Jericho over. Everybody leaves. He's sitting there. He might be mumbling to himself, maybe praying inside of his spirit. And he looks up and his eyes see a man. But watch. It's with a capital M. He sees a man standing there and his sword is drawn. Joshua is startled within his spirit and he asks the question, the only question that's worth asking in this moment. He says, are you for me or are you against me? But I want you to watch that the commander of the Lord's army, what his reply is, he said, no. (laughs) That is not an appropriate response in this situation. (laughs) No, I'm not for you. I'm not against you. I'm not for you. I'm not against you. I lost my place on my notes. That's all right. I'm coming around. See, what I I need you to understand in this moment is that he had something to say to Joshua. And I hope that this rattles you to the very core because the commander of the Lord's army has showed up not to fight Joshua's battle and not to fight against Canaanites, but the commander of the Lord's army had shown up to fight his battle, to fight his purpose, to make his will known. And I want to show you something that that Jesus is there in that moment. And many of you may be saying, well, Pastor John, it doesn't say Jesus says the commander of the Lord's army. It's probably just an angel, an archangel or something, but that's not true. And I can prove it to you scripturally because I want you to know that there's three things. This is a mini message within my message. There's three things that I can show you where this is actually a Christophany or an appearance of, of Jesus outside of the incarnate flesh of Christ. I want you to know that in this moment, when he appears to Joshua, he uses the same verbiage, the same language as he used when Moses was there at the burning bush. He says, take, off your, sand, take your sandal off your foot for this is holy ground. God said that, nobody else. Then the figure accepts worship. He accepts worship. That is actually prohibited in the law that anyone would accept worship except the Lord, the true God. 
And finally, and I want you to see this, that Joshua recognizes that this is not an angel because he says, what does my Lord have to say to me? And then instead of correcting him, instead of saying the Lord God says, he says, this is what I want you to do. And in this moment, we see an appearance of Jesus coming down. Come on, somebody. Somebody this morning needs to understand this, that in the moment of your battle, when you're facing your enemy, you have been planning, you have been strategizing, you have been trying to figure out all, all on your own, but you have, you have missed the fact that Jesus has shown up not to fight your battle because your battle wasn't even your battle to begin with. It was his battle all the whole time. And you need to understand that. You need to recognize that. You need to stop trying to fight your own battles and start realizing that somebody that is more important than you, somebody that is bigger than you, that is stronger than you, has already shown up. And the place that he has led you in is a place that he wants to make himself known to you. He wants to give you the victory and he doesn't want you to take the victory for yourself. And he says, I'm not here to fight your battle. This is my battle because I will be victorious in this, not you. I'm not for you. I'm not for Canaanites. I'm for my will. And you're going to follow me into this battle. Some of y'all have been fighting for so long that you don't even realize that this is not battleground. It's actually holy ground. And it is time to take our shoes off in his presence and begin to worship him because he has shown up He is showing up. See, most people, they put on their boots before they go into battle. But as Christians, we take off our shoes because we recognize, we look up, our eyes look up, and we see where our help comes from. And our help doesn't come from inside of us. Our help doesn't come from our friend or our praying grandparents. Our help doesn't come from our mom and dad. It doesn't come from a loan from a bank. It doesn't come from a good report from the doctor. But instead, our help comes from God and God alone. And until we recognize that this morning, then we are going to still be struggling and fighting within ourselves to try to figure out how we're going to win his battle for him. Somebody needs to put that in their heart and their spirit this morning. See, looking at, I see some seasoned saints in this place that already know how the story goes. So I trust that I'm not going to be making any spoilers this morning. But God tells him, God, Jesus is telling Joshua in this moment to march around Jericho once a day for six days and seven priests blowing seven ram's horns with the ark of the Lord. This would take about an hour each day. Then on the seventh day, march around Jericho seven times. Then blow the trumpets and shout. And I want to pick up right where we left off in Joshua chapter 6, verse 15. Just turn that page with me because I want to read to you. This is going to be wonderful. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, just like they had done every other day. On the day, on that day, only they marched around the city seven times. You see, it took about an hour to march around the city. Just about an hour. It just took about an hour each day. The sun would come up. They'd put on their gear. They'd go out. They'd get in line. Soldiers in the front. Ark. Priests, soldiers in the back, march around, blow the trumpets, don't say a word. 
Every day, every day, they do this. But I want to point out something to you that many of your Bible scholars might find interesting, that Joshua was told to plan by Jesus to go into the battle and exactly what to do and exactly how many times to march around and exactly, exactly how it was all going to go and that he would receive the victory. But I want you to see something in Scripture. And go back, because I don't have time this morning to go and, and do your homework for you, but I want you to go back in Scripture. I want you to prove me wrong. But no, not, not even once did ever Joshua approach the priests or the soldiers or the people and tell them what Jesus had told him. He just ordered them. To go. Get up, everybody. It's time to do it again. It's time to do it again. Everybody get up. Don't say a word. Just, just, just march. Just walk. Not once did Joshua tell them how many times it was time to walk around. Wouldn't it be nice if Jesus just told, you, t- told us exactly what we needed to do in order to receive the promises that he had guaranteed for us? Well, wouldn't it be nice if we know, knew that it was just, it was seven times and this was time number six and we just need to keep walking? How encouraging would that be in our lives? Oh, this is number four. <laughs> this is number four. Here it comes. <laughs> Here it comes. And we just believe and we receive the promise and with each and every step, we would look forward to a victory because we knew that it was only going to be one more time and then it's coming. It's going to be a half a time, and then it's coming. Oh, we're almost there. Everybody get ready, and then it's coming. But that's not what Jesus does in our life. That's not what life gives us. We don't know when our healing is going to come. We don't know when that relationship is going to be made right. We don't know when the finances are going to get straight. We can sit down, we can make a plan, we can strategize, but at the end of the day, when we're fighting a battle and we realize that the only way around this is to believe in God, that he is going to provide a miracle in our lives and we are hoping and we are waiting and we are anticipating what God is going to do and the only way that it's going to happen is it's going to be God. But we don't see it and we don't feel it. And we don't know when it's coming. And all we have to do is walk in faith. But sometimes our faith starts getting worn out. It's hard. Shouldn't we see some kind of progress as we pray? See, I'd be one of those soldiers. I'm showing you my weakness this morning. But I'd be one of those soldiers that on the fourth day I got up. And I'd be like, well, this was fun three times. There better be some bricks that start falling this morning because this is getting old. Going home to your wife, taking off your gear. Okay, baby, tell me how many people you killed today. Well, none. What do you mean none? You're a soldier. Well, we we just, you know, we kind of got up and we just kind of walked around again and we're back. What's for dinner, hon? And it gets old. You think that we should have we should have seen the bricks fall. We think we should have seen the gate drop a little bit. We we think we should have got the 
got a good report from the doctor this time to start seeing it turn around. We, we, we think we should have had a call from the kids. We, we, we think that we should have had a check come in the mail. We think all these things that should have occurred because we are walking faithfully in the promises of God, but God has never told us how many times that we have to be faithful, just that we have to be faithful. And this is for somebody this morning that is sitting out here. I want to encourage you this morning that you might be here and you might be ready to give up and you might be ready to stop and you might be ready to quit praying and you might be ready to sit sit this lap out but I want you to not quit I don't want you to stop because six is here and seven might be coming in your life it's right around the corner if you would just believe that God is going to be faithful to do everything he said he would do he's faithful he is faithful he doesn't possess the characteristic of being faithful. He is faithfulness. You can believe it. You can receive it this morning. Don't stop. Joshua chapter 6, verse 20. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then, somebody say then. Come on, somebody say then. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. I want to point out to somebody in here this morning, this is where a lot of people miss it. You've been faithful all of your life. You've been walking in obedience. You've maintained God's law in your heart. You stand unashamed of your life. And you're walking and you're walking and you're believing and you're praying and you haven't stopped and you haven't given up even though you've been tempted, even though you've had doubts. You have just been walking in obedience like a faithful soldier every morning believing that you're going to one day receive And you have decided that maybe, just maybe, that God's promise is not going to be fulfilled in this life, but it's into the life to come. But watch this. The praise of the ram's horns and the shout of victory had to take place before the walls came down, not after. Today you've been faithful. You've been faithful in your life to His commands. But somehow, some way, praise has been absent from inside of you. You've allowed bitterness. You've allowed age in complacency in the Lord. You've allowed unfulfillment to creep inside and cause you to forget what it was like to praise. To forget what it was like to to be excited about the hope that we have in Him and to believe that He was going to do exactly what He said He was going to do. I want to tell you this morning that your praise must proceed His promise. Your praise must proceed His promise. I'm looking for somebody all over this place. Would you just stand with me this morning? Would you just stand with me? We have time to be at the altars this morning and I want to invite each and every one of you to respond to this altar call because we have been promised some big things. 
We have been promised some big things. We've been promised healing. We've been promised renewing of relationships. We've been promised peace and joy in our lives. But somehow, for so long, even though you've been walking in obedience, you haven't seen the fulfillment of these promises. This morning, I don't want you to miss the opportunity. I don't want you to miss the opportunity to remember what it was like to put your hope in a promise that God had for you.